The Boys of Tech with Edwin Herman and Brett King. everyone and welcome it is the boys of tech this is episode 94 for monday 29 november 2010 my name is edwin herman i'd like to introduce my co-host who joins me over skype brett king welcome along hello right this week i thought we'd cover some of the trend stories that uh, that have been out there and let's just see what our take on things are so first of all i, I don't know if you saw uh, recently that it was reported that Xboxes are only used for games 60% of the time. Mm, Is that yeah. plausible, do you think? I think it's definitely plausible. With the amount... The, the Xbox console is less a game-focused console and more a media console. Just like PlayStation, PlayStation 3, they've been putting a lot of effort into the the media content that you can get and the other things you can do with the console other than just playing games and to make it more usable for, I guess, more of your household. So you might have your kids desperately asking and desiring an Xbox 360 and then so you cave and buy it for them and then you as the adult discover that not only can you sit there playing your Call of Duty but you can watch television and listen to the radio and do Facebook, Twitter, all that sort of stuff all from the console on your television in the lounge room without having to get out of your lazy boy. So when you so, say yeah, TV, do you mean, are you talking about uh, Think, on, on oh, discs you know, watching or streaming, actual streaming yeah. TV? Watching streaming TV, things like uh, in the States, you know, Netflix is real big. If you've got a media server a computer in your house, then you can serve the, the media off that directly through your mm. um, Can you, can you do YouTube as well? Yeah, you know, watch YouTube, so, listen to music off of, you know, they've put a lot, of, a lot of effort into Zune and the Zune branding as their music, you know, their music interface, listening to radio, browsing the just, web, all that sort of stuff, using the console instead. So out of interest, the, the Sony platform, which is what you, you know, you're a PlayStation man, mm-hmm. but what's their music service? Because it's not iTunes, is it? No, no. Or it do will, they not have one? It, no, it doesn't have a, a music service inbuilt into it like the like Xbox Live with Zune and like or iTunes or anything like that. But you can play any media from any media streaming supported device that you have. So, for instance, if you've got a, a computer at home and you've set up your Windows Media Center on it, then you can stream media that you've got stored on your home network through PlayStation Three and watch it on your television in the lounge room. I must admit, I'm I am surprised about the stats. 60% game, 40% obviously all the other stuff. I, mm. I don't know. I, well, I wouldn't have put it that so, high. Yeah, well, it's more, it's less about time and more about what the members are doing. So it's 40% of the Xbox Live members are spending their, their time doing non-game activities. Oh, so those that don't subscribe to the Xbox Live. Uh, well, there's no statistics on what people who aren't subscribed to the service are doing. It's only people who are subscribed to. Yes, yeah, right. Like, so these they aren't included. Okay, so so yeah. you could argue that the people that do subscribe are more likely to do other things than just games. Yeah, yeah. Because right. once you subscribe, you get access to all. Of, you get you know, access to a whole heap more things. 
but you don't need to subscribe to get access to certain other parts of it. Like you can just play games without having the Xbox Live membership or, or you know, basic Xbox Live membership. It completely depends on the game. But yeah, if they've got like 25 million Xbox Live subscribers and a lot of them pay for content and streaming services delivered to their Xbox, which are not games. So doesn't surprise me at all. It is more a media console than a gaming console. Another paradigm shift we're seeing is also the, the old white pages and yellow pages that, in fact, have actually done quite well to clutch onto life so long. I mean, look, you still have a well, white page and yellow the, pages, don't you? Well, yeah, because most of it's, are they, you know, government regulations? Uh, it's government yeah, regulated. Are, thing. You're true, but okay, I, perhaps I should have asked the question differently. When, I mean, do you, do you still use your white pages or yellow pages? Uh, white pages, no. I just really? look it up on it. Yeah. Yellow pages, yes, because sometimes you're, you know, you're, you're holding on to the thing that's broken to stop the water spewing out of it. And it's easier to have the book thrown at you should look through it. <laughs> right. Yes, it depends on the situation. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's true. Yeah. Exactly. It's a lot easier than, than booting up a laptop or something. Oh, precisely. Water and flying they're everywhere. brilliant for propping things up. <laughs> Monitor stands. Yes. Yep. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Actually, my, my mind Propping is up at the side of a table, or yeah, or you know, when it's time to recycle them for the new ones, biodegradable retaining walls. <laughs> I suppose you could. Has someone done this? Yeah, I've seen them used in landscaping <laughs> as a biodegradable oh, nice. retaining wall. Very nice. But yeah, they the the yellow pages still has its place, and it's still going. You know, it still gets used. But there are around, people that argue that you don't need. Well, there are people that argue you don't need the yellow pages now because you've got Google. And, you know, look, I'll, I'll tell you this. I, I think sometimes Google works better than yellow pages. Other times, yellow pages works better than Google. I would not want to be without yellowpages.co.nz. Oh, so you use the, the actual the yellow pages version. site? Yeah, I, li- I love the online site. The online site is brilliant. And I, I would hate to see it go. I would hate to have to use Google to find a plumber instead of using yellow well, pages. You know, it's funny you say that because there are people that swear that is the only way to go. What, use Google? Yeah. Oh, hell no. Have you not come across these people? In fact, some, no, of, them, not, some of them might be I've our listeners. I've not come across them and <laughs> uh, I, I would go to yellowpages.co. I prefer that as a search engine of service providers in my area. Because it's categorized. And because it's, it's categorized. By human as well. they've, Yeah, it's because they've had to pay to advertise there. They've not just stuck up their website. So just going back to white pages for a second, you said you, you don't use the white, you don't look up the physical white pages, but when you, what do you use well, as an yeah. alternative? Do you go to white pages on the web or do you? Not really, because so when am I going to need to track down somebody's number that I don't know? What about a shop? Don't know what, you want to ring a shop of- to see if they got something in stock? I don't know, Dick Smith Electronics or something. Go to the website. It's like, what? oh, I, I need to contact Dick Smith. Okay, well, bad like, example because they've, they've got an online store, get- but- some, something well, that doesn't have an online store, a clothing store, a, a footwear store or something. A footwear store. Then I, I'd go to the footwear store. I, I don't generally have a need to ring them up. Or if it's for something like I purchase something from a store, I've got a receipt. The receipt will have the contact details on it. So you never or hardly ever need to know a, a number? Now, I can't remember the last time I actually looked up a white pages. I've, I've looked up the yellow pages lots of times but not the white pages, not to contact an individual. Because, you know, most stores and service providers and all that sort of thing are going to be in the yellow pages or they're going to have a website. 
So I, I use websites all the time to find contact details. I looked up. Yeah, a, website. A, I agree. Websites are good for Dick Smith it was a perfectly good example. Only a couple of weeks ago did I look up the Dick Smith website so I could find the contact details of the Manners Mall store. <laughs> I wouldn't go to White Pages first for that. I think people predicted the demise of both White and Yellow Pages a lot earlier than that's actually happened. I mean, they're still a lot, they're still kicking. They're still kicking around. Mm-hmm. Uh, I want to move on to talk about some of the other trends. Online storage. Now, a lot of people are predicting that this is going to go big. That uh, it's going to be the default, if you like, the de facto way of storing stuff, and local storage would just be a bit of a bit of a luxury, a bit of an extra add-on if needed. What do you think? Ah, uh, baloney. I think it's. <laughs> you baloney. disagree? I think really? we are ages and ages away from cloud storage being anything to rival local storage. People carry around multi gigabytes of storage on a drive the size of your thumb, which people have on their keyring. How is that not ubiquitous, easy access storage? Why would I instead go, look, I've got this couple of megs or, or, you know, many, many, many megs worth of photos I've just taken that I want to save a copy of. Am I going to wait ages to upload them to a cloud-based system? Or am I going to stick them on the USB drive, which is hanging from my keys, which are always in my pocket, or save them onto the hard drive of the computer that I'm using? I don't see that sort of cloud storage as being anything more than the, the geeky extra that it currently is for most people. Really? But what about from, say, your iPhone? You're at the lake, you're going camping, you've got your iPhone... And you want to get to your stuff. You can do that if, you know, if it's on the cloud. But with a USB, how are you going to plug a USB thing into your iPhone? Well, why would I want to do it on my iPhone? What am I wanting to do with my iPhone that I would not have a better device to do it for? And why yeah, would you I might be out and about, and you why just happen ch- to have your I, iPhone because it's it's light and easy, it fits in your pocket. You know, I mean, let, let's let's put this into the right situation. Yeah, what am I wanting to do with this thing that right. I'm going to use my iPhone to do it? Instead of you got a recipe, you know, you've got a cooking recipe, and you're out camping, and you want to cook up something. <laughs> you already consult your recipe, and it's on in the cloud. <laughs> I don't know. It's on your online storage space. No? Well, then I, <laughs> I, I can't see a reason for doing it with that sort of device. Honestly, especially if you're looking up a recipe. Well, what, your grandmother's own recipe on how to make damper bread? Well, why not just Google since you've got your iPhone and obviously an internet-connected camping site? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, all right. I'm out camping in the middle of nowhere and fortunately I've still got good access to the internet from my iPhone. I don't think so. (laughs) I would have taken my laptop, stick your recipes on your thumb drive or on your laptop or you know put them into ebook reader and take them on your ebook if you're going to do that or print them out and take them in hard copy because if you're camping and need your recipe then (laughs) what's going to happen on the day after your e-reader or laptop or cell phone runs out of juice Nah, there is that isn't there what about applications what about the delivery of applications uh well we're seeing more and more applications being delivered as web-based products so you know it's i don't know what do you think i i agree with this one i think this is what we're going to see whether we like it or not more and more things are now delivered as a web-based platform yeah yeah i can see certain certain applications lend themselves really well to being web-based because they're they're easy 
sorts of things to do. Word processing, for instance. Word processing is a no is a no brainer. How complex is it? Not massively. How demanding is it? Not massively. How much data transfer through the interactions with the application and client is there? Not a lot. Uh, so easy peasy. But in depth sorts of applications, things like Photoshop. Yeah, Photoshop, photo, film well, you know, editing, photo manipulation in general. Yeah. Um, mm. Production, sound editing, all those sorts of things. Web based versions of those, other than something to be a gimmicky toy with very few options, I don't see as being something realistic in the foreseeable future until we get a you know, some much fatter bandwidth across this globe of ours to support those sorts of applications running concurrently and consistently. But not all of them use a lot of bandwidth. If you, it's a, you know, in fact, some, a lot of them use very little bandwidth. This is but very different to say the virtual desktop the- infrastructure. This is just applications. You, you've just got a browser that, like, you look at say some of the rich web 2.0 interfaces like say the new Twitter and I don't know what Facebook is like I don't use it but some of the new webmail products where little things come out the side and pop-ups appear and so on it's actually not a lot of bandwidth we're not talking a great deal but once again we're not talking uh, a a very sophisticated application either so your prediction is if I can paraphrase correct me if I'm wrong Web-based applications will increase for simple applications. For your hardcore, more demanding applications, it's always going to be fat client. Yeah. You are never going to surpass the capabilities of client-run applications for those heavy application demands. You Photo editing, film editing, programming, all those sorts of things are going to require more power and more localization than you're going to be able to reliably get from a web-based interface running in the cloud until we have a much better infrastructure, much more bandwidth, much more availability. And this the key words of, you know, the always-on philosophy of cloud computing, until always-on can actually be always on, always. Until that is true, it's not going to work properly. It's not going to be reliable. Having all of your staff based in the cloud, having your entire staff require a web-based application which is running in a cloud and the cloud goes away because, you know, there's no such thing as always on. Yeah, hang on, hang on. There are two types of models, right, with cloud computing. There's the big cloud and there's your local cloud. So an organization could have their own... Yeah, but right now we're talking about web-based applications, not virtualized applications. Virtualization. absolutely, absolutely. But they can still be these two hosting methods. You can host them on-site or you can host them off-site. And those are two Mm -hmm. completely different models. They're still web-based, still uses, you know, okay, one's intranet, the other other one's over the internet, but they're still Mm. web. So... You know, you can have stuff, as I say, hosted locally within your organization, but being web-based, so you don't have to install anything because the browser is your tool. Mm-hmm. And I can only see those, to be honest, being just more and more... Uh, oh, yeah, that definitely. But once again, they those still suffer from exactly the same thing when you start to talk about remote users, when you're talking about a global user base, when you have your employees being able to work from home with these sorts of things, you're going to have to rely on internet connections going through. And so you're still going to have those things. When you are talking 
fully local where you're sitting in your office and your stuff is being delivered from the server room in the building across the road or in the same building as you, then you've got a lot less of those problems with always on and bandwidth and all that sort of stuff. But then you're still going to have to carefully weigh those things off with how much data is going, you know, the, you know, the, the communication between the client and server with those web-based things. If you have a large organization and all of your people are using those things all at once. Okay, what about public libraries? Are they going to disappear or are they simply going to change model or are they just going to stay the way they are? I think the public libraries are going to continue the trend that they've been going on for the last five, ten years. They will continue to adapt. They have been brilliant adapters to the 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 evolutions in technology of the printed material and electronic delivery. If you look at our local library in Wellington, you go there, you can, you know, you can get out DVDs, you can, all your web searches, your cataloging, all this sort of stuff. Online journals as well. Mm. Online journals, all that sort of delivery. They are brilliant embraces of information delivery because that's what a library is. It is a repository of information and they're all about holding and providing information to users. So they've been brilliant at grabbing and adapting these things. I do not see libraries disappearing. No, and I, I do not I, see I'd them becoming you Yeah, I do not see them becoming the <laughs> the museums of the book world. I don't see us ever being without the printed word. Uh, I don't see us ever being without books. I'd agree with that, but I would go a little further and say I do think proportionally the amount of space taken up by physical books in a library in the future will be a lot less than, say, digital media. And I think uh, libraries probably Mm. will also be doing, well, in fact, they already are doing e-lending and being able to view content in the library that's delivered electronically. Yeah. So I think there'll be less investment in in physical books, but I don't think they'll go away. I'm with you on that. Yeah, I don't think physical books will go go away at all. We may see libraries and retailers changing to more of a on-demand printed material. So if they've got an electronic version of the book and you want to read the book and you don't want to read it electronically, you want to take it camping, for instance, or you're going to go on a long trip and you want something that you're going to be able to read when you don't have power. (laughs) So being able to get that electronic thing printed for you. Maybe they'll switch to having on-demand printing as part of the side thing. That is actually the, a brilliant print. I like that. The, the, oh, I the can printed, see that happening. Yeah, and printed material has too many benefits to electronic delivery only for it to ever disappear. And it should always remain as an option because everything else runs on power. And there are so many times when you're going to want to be able to read something when you're not going to have power. That's often when you do your reading, isn't it? When you're out, exactly. outside or, or uh, yeah, as you say, as you on say, a, yeah. On a vacation somewhere. Yep. You know, the thing that I find a little odd, or surprising, I suppose I should say, not odd, but surprising, is that in your public library, and you touched on this before, in your local public library, you can borrow DVDs and CDs. Yep. The thing that surprises me about that is that the record companies and, you know, movie companies don't seem to prohibit that. They don't mind. It's because libraries have inbuilt law. They have the law on their side. They've they've been grandfathered into all of those sorts of provisions. Well, have they for music? I don't know. Do they? I suppose well, they must do. Yeah, it's for, for media and, and those sorts of things. They've been grandfathered in for those. These are other repositories of knowledge. That's the entire purpose of the but library. Sh- surely if the music industry 
could prevent it, they would, wouldn't they? They, they oh, mustn't like that. Yeah. I've of often course wondered they would. That. Of course they would. Yeah, I've, I've wondered about this. <laughs> of course they would, but it would almost certainly be an uphill losing battle for them to try and remove this body of law which covers libraries would be an uphill battle for the the industries to try and fight against. Well, it might not be Because then they would be fighting against be- governments themselves. Well, they, that's what Look they're doing. Look at the things like the they're American lobbying. Library of Congress, which hold within its body, body, you know, pieces of work that it holds as core ideals of the American people, the American populace, America. They are brought into that library. And being in that library is a huge respected thing. It's... Uh, to try and go against libraries would be going against all of those as well. And it would be a very poor government which would try to, which would allow the protections that their own core libraries, their own core information repositories to be uh, devalued and destroyed. But the music industry is actually, I think, trying to quash uh, or at least change some of the laws. And they do it by lobbying. They lobby the government. They lobby the government to tighten on copyright laws and, and so on. And, you know, the, mm-hmm. the whole actor thing. You know, the, the whole, uh, what is it, anti-counterfeit... Uh, uh, Trade alliance. Yeah, that. <laughs> the actor thing. Yeah. I mean, that's all, you know, who's... Come on, who's behind that? No, so, indeed. Yeah, they are trying to, to tighten things. and uh, But yeah, as I yeah. say, it just surprises me that, you know, you can do this because I bet the music industry and the movie industry would love to put a stop to it. Mm. But anyway, that's pretty much a snapshot of where things might be going and where things might not be going. We'll see who's right. Yeah, I guess we'll see who's right. I mean, you know, the next... (laughs) Yeah. I've voiced my opinion on many of our shows about cloud computing and... We know where you stand on that. The hype (laughs) that goes around it and how it's a brilliant idea, but the physical reality of it is not going to happen anytime soon for it to live up to its hype. And also you've got all of the other things, which people who talk about cloud computing and virtualization outside of the local sphere that you mentioned, you know, where the corporation itself controls it and hosts it, where it is a local cloud, because that's not what people talk about when they talk about the cloud and the cloud computing. They're talking about it being out there and available to everyone and available to from anywhere. The thing they always gloss over is security. Yeah, I, w- the, I would agree the biggest, with you. If, the instant that data is out of your own purview, it is out of your control and it becomes a point of weakness. And it's something that you still have to think about, no matter how brilliant the other aspects, the other pros of cloud computing will be. Well, you know, these stories we've covered this week are particularly interesting because I think we'll find that often people are quite polarised in their views on these. And, and some will mm. say, for example, with the libraries, there are people that will argue that the libraries will, in fact, become the museums of the book world. They will cease to exist. Mm-hmm. Other people say, no, no, they'll stay, you know, they'll, they're here to stay and there's still going to be a place for them. So yeah, yeah. very, well, uh, they're, they're kind of they can be polarising these stories. The discussion about libraries is so integrated into the discussion about the printed word, books physical books and the polarization of people who are pro-book and people who are anti-book. Yes, absolutely. But, yeah. And there's yeah, just so much evidence out there for 
one way or another and people can be just blinded to different things. Well, look, let me tell you this. I, one of the, I belong to a number of forums and one of them, these are tech-oriented forums, and often the topic of ebooks comes up and honestly, every time I'm surprised at the number of tech people, geeks if you like, that are there saying, oh no, I want my physical book. I want to be able to read this book, this physical book. And t- it's not the same when you read it on an ebook reader. I can't go out in the sunshine for a start and, to read it. Yep. And other all these other arguments oh, yeah, why, they're, they're, why they're no good in certain the, situations. Yeah, the technological restrictions on ebooks are the main con against ebooks. Well, you can't take them out into the sun unless you've got a really good e-ink reader. They all rely on power. Without your power, you've got no book. Well, let me wrap this up by saying that we're definitely going to see change. I guess the only argument is which change. So, Brett, I want to thank you very much for co-hosting this episode of The Boys of Tech, episode 94. It's been an interesting one. Mm Mm-hmm. Full of predictions. Yeah, you and said- I think a lot of them, a lot of the things that we've talked about will come to pass, but not in the polarized ways that the different camps that are currently advocating for either way will have predicted. I think a lot of these things will come out as a merging of the two, the, the best of each world, the best of each viewpoint, because it's only through that merging of those different viewpoints are you actually going to get something that is more pros than cons to either side. Well said. Brett, thank you very much once again. Not a problem. All right. Thanks to you, the listeners. That is episode 94 all wrapped up. See you again next week. Till then, take care, everyone. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.